You're listening to Breaking Our Silence with host Lupe Marino on the CWR Network. Hello and welcome to Breaking Our Silence. I am your host, Lupe Moreno. On tonight's episode, my guest, Shireen Rice, and I will be discussing overcoming abuse and the healing process. Shireen has spent the last 19 years working with youth. Five of those were working in treatment facilities for troubled youth. Fourteen were working in public school system as a special education teacher. She has spent several years as a life coach, helping youth and adults exist in the struggles of daily life. Due to her love for youth, she served as an advisor to the Youth City Council for two years. She has also served in different positions in her church for over 35 years. Her education starts with an associate's from Allen Hancock College in Santa Maria, California, a Bachelor of Arts from Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, a Master's in Curriculum and Instruction from the University of Phoenix, and she's currently working on her PhD from Grand Canyon University. At this time, I would like to welcome Ms. Shireen Rice to the show. Welcome, Shireen. Hi, Lupi. How are you? Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm doing doing really good. Thank you for inviting me, actually. Um, On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about healing and overcoming the healing process. Before we begin, I'd like um, if you could share with us about Healing for Women and what it's all about, what resources you provide, and how your organization was created. Um, The Healing for Women organization was created by my cousin and I, and uh, we brought a third friend on board. And I talk about abuse, and my cousin talks about depression, and another friend of mine um, talks about um, PTSD. And the reason why it came about was because um, my husband, in my case, my um, ex-husband, when I was badly beaten up, um, I started looking around on what was out there because I I didn't realize what I had been going through that other people experienced that. I thought I was like the only one. I, I really didn't know anything about abuse. And I talked to my cousin, and she had written a book on depression, and I said, why don't we start a website and a Facebook so that we can help other women not go through what we've been through. And that's when we brainstormed and decided that we needed also PTSD as it's really important. All three of us um, actually are are, um, survivors of abuse, but um, those are our areas that we cover. And we have, uh, I think I told you, we have a Facebook and a website for that. We specifically chose women because we are women. (laughs) And, And we don't really understand the the guys part (laughs) and we do understand Mm -hmm. the females part and we just wanted them to understand that there's more out there like you and if it wasn't them that was in the survival mode maybe we could touch someone else uh, that knew someone that had been abused and maybe it would help them yeah, that's a very good thing because, I mean, and like you said, like when you're going through it, you just don't know. And sometimes we don't we don't always find out about anything until after we've already gone through it. And that's why it's just so important to have 
education awareness out there so we can reach people and tell them about domestic abuse before they get involved with it. And, I mean, that's our our goal is to try to prevent more victims as well as helping the ones who are already in there. Um, yeah. Can and you share with us? Go ahead. If you could share with us um, a little bit about your story and how what inspired you to help other women. Yes, absolutely. Um, first of all, I, I want to say I'm glad you used the word domestic abuse because abuse is not just violent. It is um, it's first psychological, and then it usually escalates to violence. No one ever walks up to you and just punches you out and says, hey, I love you. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, and oftentimes, thank you for saying there's, that. oftentimes too, there's not even the physical involved in it, and so that's why sometimes right. people don't even realize they're a victim because they were like, "Well, I'm not getting hit," but they don't realize that they're victims of the psychological abuse, maybe verbal, financial, or sexual, one of the other types. But because most people think of just physical and the vision of victims being bruised and battered and everything. So they think, oh, that's not me. That's not what I see in the mirror, so I'm not a victim. So it is important to educate people on the different types. Right, right. And I'm going to have to tell you that that's how mine started was it was was, um, psychological. I would have told you um, that I was never abused prior to being hit. I didn't didn't understand psychological abuse. I didn't understand emotional, verbal, financial. I didn't understand any of it. What um, concerned me a little bit was when his dog would um, run past him really fast. And I'm like, why does he do that? Because it it was like his dog was scared of him. And he said, well, I might have kicked him too hard one time or something. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, if you're going to kick your dog, Mm -hmm. might you do the same to me? And so that was my concern. Um, But um, how I explain psychological abuse to people, and this is what happened to me, was um, they're not mean all the time. Uh, They throw in what I call the red rose phase. And they might say, oh, my gosh, I can't stand that shirt that you're wearing. You look so ugly in it. You look fat in that dress. You know, I mean, the, the abuse... It goes like that, except for they'll say, oh, my gosh, honey, I'm just so in love with you, and you're just so beautiful, and let's go out to dinner, and, you know, let's do... So you see the you see the Prince Charming that you married part of the time, and then you see this other person that you didn't marry and you didn't know anything about prior to marriage. And, and that's what happened to me. I had um, someone I had known for 38 years. We had dated in high school and, again, in our 20s, and... I um, was just madly in love with this guy. And I thought he was the same with me. And as we continued our relationship, um, you know, as we started it, he was always just the perfect person. He, He was okay with my life and the way I, you know, did things and, and he was always so sweet and so kind and so loving. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is the perfect guy. And I said, you know, we, we continue to get back together in between relationships. And he's like, yeah. And we continue to talk and to 
and to get closer. And at no time have I ever in the 38 years seen anything abusive about him. He was never abusive towards me verbally or in any other way. Um, and I've never seen it once. So when people say, oh, you should have just waited longer? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It work like that. And um, so he was very emotionally abusive. And I had a pretty healthy self-image um, when I married him. I was um, single. I was a career person. Um, I loved my job, you know, as a teacher. I loved my students. I I just had a great life. And literally in the first year of marriage, he totally beat me down so badly I could hardly lift my head up. We'd go out to eat. <clears throat> And I would start crying, and I didn't know why. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am, like, losing it or something. But what it is is there's just something inside of you that just tells you there's just something not right here. And, mm-hmm. you know, at times I would be talking to him, and then I'd start shaking, and I'm like, what? I am just losing it. <laughs> and so I, I really uh, struggled a lot. And then... Um, one day I just said, hey, we need to talk. And I grabbed his shirt. I said, we need to talk. This is serious, you know. And um, he pulled my hand and pushed it down, and his shirt tore, of course. And then um, we fell on a, a chaise lounge, and he hit me in the in my nose, in my nose with his, the palm of his hand. So he's on top of me and he hits me with the palm of his hand. My nose starts bleeding, but I don't realize that. And, um, and he holds my head back to pull the blood. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you holding my head, my forehead back? I just really didn't understand it. And he kept psychologically abusing me. You know, you're just a horrible person and on and on and on about, you know, just as much as he could. And so in my head, the first thing that I, that I thought of is how could someone that I love hit me? I mean, my head could not wrap around that. I still struggle with that today. How can my head wrap around something that someone that actually says they love me the way he does, with, the way he says he does, and hit me. <clears throat> well, the thing, the answer to that question is, is abusers can't love. They don't love themselves, and they can't love anybody else. And I didn't realize that till after I started studying domestic violence. And I'm going to tell you that's the one thing that hurt me the most. Um, <clears throat> because of that altercation, I had two black eyes, um, bruises on both arms, uh, red marks around my neck where he tried to choke me and an abrasion on my back when I think we fell onto the chaise lounge. But it was it was that thing, it was that that triggered um, something's wrong and I don't know what it is and I, I need to start studying this. So I was looking around for some help because I didn't know where to really study because I didn't know really what to look up. And I went to the domestic violence center there in, in the county that I was living in but it took me a couple months because I thought, no, 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 I don't, I don't belong there. I don't need their help. Um, I can do this on my own. But things just kept getting worse and worse in my head because of what I had been through. And so I went to them, and 
they were so wonderful. And um, they said there's this religious group. And I said, okay, I'll go to that. And so I went to it, and they were just really frank. Um, They just said, you know, I, I mean, as you know, abuse victims feel like, man, I just, the world, this has just got to stop somehow. And how is this going to stop? And that's the first thing to your mind is, you know, I, I want this abuse to stop. I want this memory to stop. I want everything to stop. And when they looked at me one day and said, oh, you believe in the Mac truck theory? And I said, what is that? And they said, you believe that, uh, you just hope someday that a Mac truck will hit your ex. And I'm like, oh, good, I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm not alone on that subject. So anyway, I have a whole chapter on that in my book. But <clears throat> I just want people to know that, you know, uh, that those horrible thoughts come to your mind because you're like, how is this going to stop? And you keep running it through and you have no idea how it's going to stop. Was that incident the only time that he physically abused you or were there other times? Nope, that was the only time he physically abused me. <clears throat> After that, there was a no-contact order, and then a divorce ensued um, a couple, uh, about two years later, a year and a half later, actually, I think. And um, I have not spoken to him since, <clears throat> though the no-contact order is no longer on. I have not spoken to him since. And, um, you know, I usually have a good relationship with ex-boyfriends and stuff, so I thought, um, maybe this would be fine, but I I didn't talk to him. But then I thought, no, if I do that, then the narcissist in him will come out, and the sociopath in him will come out, and I I just I I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with the lies mm-hmm. and the manipulation. Um, it it's just too difficult. <clears throat> so instead, I just um, teach about domestic violence I teach about healing from domestic violence what helped me and um and and anything anyone I can help and that's uh guys and gals um I try to talk to whoever I talk to parents of victims of abuse I have those people seek me out from time to time I have church leaders call me and say hey I have a girl that needs your help and so I'll go talk to them sometimes at the church sometimes they'll just call me on the phone or whatever, but um, I'm always available to try to help someone get through this horrible, horrible experience. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, usually if you don't have any children with your abuser and there's no reason for you to stay in contact with them, the best thing you can do for yourself and your own healing is to keep that distance. And it's harder yeah. when you have children involved and you have to meet for visitation or going through custody issues and stuff like that. But if at all possible you don't need to have contact with the abuser anymore, that is very important in your healing. And just the least amount of contact you have with them, the better. So you don't have to keep reliving and being traumatized every time you have to see them or talk with them. Yeah. Yeah, and I know a lot of women who um, really, really struggle um, with that because they do have children. I did not have any children with this um, ex-husband, and which was good, and, it, and the marriage only lasted a year, which is even better. <laughs> so, 
because, uh, you know, I can remember getting on my knees going, I'm not sure how I got here and I'm not sure how to get out. <laughs> yeah. So now, it, was, was it, uh, um, it was scary. Was, did you find that part of your healing process, a lot of it had to do with forgiving? Have you been able to forgive him? And if so, how long or how soon were you able to forgive him? Oh, yeah. Well, that's a long process. <laughs> but I will tell you, I have, and I'll tell you why, um, because I wasn't going to hold on to it, because I found if I, uh, the more knowledge I gained, the more I understood that he's very, very sick in the head. Uh, you know, uh, they have a personality disorder that unfortunately they have to live with, and they can get help for if they choose to. Um, but <clears throat> so what I said is, you know, I, I really, I, I, I needed help to forgive. And so it was uh, literally on a daily basis. I would, I would ask the Lord, please help me to forgive this man because right now I just want to take him out. (laughs) Um, It was a, it was on a daily basis for, Oh my gosh, let me see. It probably took, um, probably took a year at least. Um, And what I think the final thing was, is I just gave, to the Lord, everything that I'd been through, I said, I just can't deal with this anymore. I don't want to deal with this anymore. You deal with, you know, everything. So, you know, because you still have court hearings. I put on a restraining order. Um, the nice little female judge took off the restraining order and going, he just wants to go hunting. Well, okay, but now since that time, he he had slashed my tires, he had drained my oil, and he had tried to kill me again. So I'm like, please, people. Someone's got to be awake out there and not do these things. Yeah. But um, they're so convinced by these guys. So at that point, had he he was not charged with anything as far as criminal charges for the abuse? No. He was never charged okay. with anything. Yeah, because I know um, when I was going through my abuse, we were in the state of California. So with that... I know all states are different, but in California, if you're convicted of any type of domestic violence crime, you can no longer have possession or own any firearms for, I believe it was up to 10 years state law, but it's for a lifetime federal law. So federal law should cover all states, but yeah, if he wasn't convicted, then I mean, the judge. No, <laughs> go no, he was like, did he specify? Or it is, he was going to go hunting for you. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what happened actually after that. <laughs> yeah, I can laugh about it now. It was about four years ago, but um, no, actually, yeah, that's the good uh, thing is that now we. Yeah, the good thing is now we can look back at things and be able to laugh about it because I know when you're going through it or when you're fresh out of it it's hard to talk about it without crying. And and so just the fact that you can actually laugh about it, I mean, that says a lot that you are past it. And it's like, yeah, it's just good times to well, be able to look back and see how far you've come. And it's like, okay, it's not, doesn't affect you like it did when you're fresh out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I can laugh about it like right now, but there are times, when I get very emotional about it, um, PTSD is a is a horrible thing, and mm-hmm. um, it's just amazing what it it can do to your head. You know, I'd wake up screaming and crying for 
like uh, the first two years, <clears throat> and now it's only once in a while. So, or maybe once a year at the most, I think. But um, you know, it's only been four years. But first two years, it was it was all the time. Yeah, but it the is. third and year I know, was um, a lot less. And go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. And I know, like with even myself, I thought that you know I had been like completely healed until you know it's um, when something happens that triggers you. Like with my first abuser, I can be around him now. It's been so many years that we've we have kids together and you know grandchild together, so yeah. we can be around each other now and be really civil. I was around him in September at our granddaughter's birthday party, and we can you know very casual and everything with no problems. But then in October, I was around my second abuser. And being around him and things that were being said by him and other people, it triggered stuff from our past, you know, things that I went Mm -hmm. through with him that it totally caught me off guard. I thought that I was going to be able to be around him. And I told our daughter, you know, because we were celebrating her birthday, and I thought, okay, yeah, no, we can be, I can be around him. We'll be fine. Don't, there's not going to be any drama and everything. But then just as the days were leading up to it and things that were coming up and it was starting to raise a lot of emotions and triggering things and I was trying to be strong and telling myself, no, I can get through this, I can get through this, just one more day. And that last day I just couldn't take it and I broke down and I started crying and I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, I can't be around him. And it was hard for her because then it puts her in the middle and yeah, just the whole situation where we're celebrating her birthday and then we had to uninvite him because I didn't want to be around him. So it was yeah. it was hard for her. I didn't like putting her in that situation, but I also she understood too where I was coming from and that I was trying, but it was also an eye opener for me that when it comes to him, I hadn't completely healed yet. Now because I've had a few months to really soak it in and evaluate what happened here, you know, what I am I still feeling, why, what happened there and what triggered it. And so now I'm like, okay, and now I know I'm going to see him again in a few months when we go to her college graduation. And now I've been able to let myself absorb and figure it out. I was like, okay, next time I know I what to expect. I'm going to be okay now. And, I can get past that, you know, but it, it just totally caught yeah. me off guard. So sometimes you may, you might think you're really healed until something comes that triggers you that you weren't expecting. And But I yes. think with every yes. time you go through it, each time you heal more and more, and it does get easier. And it's been with him, gosh, 13 years that I haven't been with him. but And it's still, <laughs> this so long after it just totally caught me off guard but I'll be prepared for it again next time when I see him in May and it is it's a process it is Um, and and that PTSD man it just triggered that that's the unfortunate part mm -hmm. anything can trigger that I found the thing that really helped me to heal uh the fastest was serving others and so I would do absolutely anything to serve someone and um, so that's what really helped me. And so I recommend that to anyone I, I deal with. Um, I do have some other things that I, I help 
uh, that helps women um, if they're of faith and ones that are not of faith and um, different things. But I think service was the one thing that helped me the most and learning as much as I could. Um, Knowledge is power. It really is. Um, And it really helps you to empower yourself. Because you yeah. you can see it a little bit better the next time. You understand what has happened. You understand your responses are normal. You understand um, what they're doing to you and how they do it. Yeah, and then when she, like, happens again, it's like, oh, wait, I've been here before. I'm not going to react like I did the last time. <laughs> and you learn to react yeah. differently to the situation. Yes. And I know for me, too, per, taking um, personal development training and going to coaching sessions and getting trained by a, a life coach and live, working on my limiting beliefs and telling myself, no, I am enough, because after so many years of being told you're not enough, you're worthless, you know, you're so stupid, and that gets drilled into your mind after so many years that you start to believe it, and you have to, like, reprogram your mind to tell yourself, no, that's not true. Those were all lies. I am not that, you know, and everything that happened in my past, everything that was told to me, that doesn't define me. That's not who I am. And I choose to not be a victim anymore. And so a lot of it is learning, like you said, the knowledge is the power, but also putting into action what we learned because we can keep hearing it and people telling us that we are feeling, you know, that we are good enough, but until we start believing it ourselves and telling ourselves that and really believing it and feeling it, then we do stay with that negative mentality of, oh, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm, I'm useless. I'm not, I'm just, I'm so stupid. Cause I used to tell myself that all the time. I'm so stupid. I'm so like, you know, you make a mistake, you accidentally drop stuff and I was like, oh, you're so yeah. stupid. Yeah, and it wasn't I until I started, or, yeah. yes, and it wasn't until I started getting coaching and listening to the way I actually talked, paying attention to all the negative things that I said and really like catching myself, and I'm like, gosh, this is, I wonder why, and I'm like, I would stop and like, okay, no, you know, it's like, all right, all right, next time, you know, oh, okay, well, lesson learned, so now I just tell myself, lesson learned, and won't do that again, and I noticed that once I started changing the way that I talked to other people and to myself, that's when I really started more with my healing and changing the way I felt about myself. And my whole attitude started to change is just by the way that I spoke and the thoughts that I had. And it just, it really makes a big difference on your healing. And you know what? That is so true. I call it changing your brain because we have, uh, of course, these synapses that that get all rewired when we're with one of those um, abusers, and we have to rewire our brain back to normal, who we, who a healthy environment, a healthy person, and yeah, I call it changing your brain because it totally is changing your brain, changing everything, Um, saying I am good enough, I am. I'm okay at cooking. I look fine in those clothes, you know. My hair looks mm-hmm. he'd always complain about my hair. Um, he'd complain about things I wore. I mean, it it was 
It was everything. I mean, from everything. And, you know, let me talk about financial abuse first. I know this isn't oh, a yeah. part of healing, but um, it is <laughs> so important. But it was in a different way than most. Usually guys have complete control of the money. Well, I had complete control over my money except for one thing. He would always put all my um, checkbooks and my credit cards um, in a shoebox and put it in his office where he had a lot of shoeboxes, and I had no idea where it was. And then he'd pull it out once a month, um, and and then he'd go, write checks for this, write checks for that, you know, and I'm like, okay. And then I, he'd go, I need a check for this, and I need a check for that. Okay. And, you know, I made pretty good money, so um, he didn't mind using it, which was fine um, because we were married, I felt, at the time. Um, but then mm-hmm. he'd ridicule me. Um, you can't save a dime. Well, I just spent $1,500 on his bills. Of course I can't save a dime. How am I going to save a dime? <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and it was that month after month after month. And when I left him, um, literally, I could not, um, I did not remember which bills I had paid I, because every month he would tell me, okay, pay this bill, pay this bill. And I'm like, I know, but, you know, um, when was the last time, you know, I, I didn't have my shoebox. I didn't have him telling me all this. And here I've been doing it for years anyway. But for some reason, something happens to your brain. You just, every month, you get used to them telling you what to do. And so you're like, okay, um, he's not here to tell me what to do. So I wonder, wonder if I paid those already. And literally, I had re- repaid all my bills twice. So no big deal. But still, you know, it was, I I was just in shock at how much, my brain had become used to him telling me what to do when I never needed that before. Mm-hmm. So now has that affected how you handle your finances now? Um, no, I'm back to normal. <laughs> I go to Ross's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I know I'm not going to get ridiculed by going to Ross's. So now. <laughs> yeah. But has it has it changed so like how you keep track of paying your bills? Um, yeah, I don't use a checklist at all under any conditions um, anymore. Um, I tore them all up um, because that reminded me of him, if you will. And so I do either uh, I either do it in person with my um, debit card or um, credit card or whatever I want, and, or I'll go to the bank and have a cashier's check made. But I will not have a credit card. I mean, I, I will not have a, a checkbook. I'm just not going that, to do that, that checkbook anymore. Checkbook is still a checkbooks are still a trigger for you. Um, you yeah, it, it reminds me of him, <laughs> and I need to move on. <laughs> so I got my own method of of doing my own finances. I um, I just, uh, I just, yeah, I just don't like that. I just, I just won't use them. Yeah, I know, like, with mine, too, wasn't going through financial abuse. And, like, you know, in my case, too, with my ex, um, well, actually, with both of them, I earned more money than they did. So in my situation, too, I wasn't one where I was financially dependent on them, but they took advantage of me and, you know, ran up my credit cards and um, but gave me a lot of debt and that I ended up with. Ended up ruining my credit scores and stuff. And so even yeah. after that, Leaving the relationship, it takes time to get your credit back and to get because yeah. it takes years to get all those negative things off of your credit report and just to establish credit again. You're starting all over 
So you're getting new accounts, mm-hmm. which you have to wait for the years the accounts are open because that's um, taken into consideration for your credit score. And it's like they yeah. either they just don't care how they're messing you up. And so even, yeah, recovering from financial abuse is a long oh. process. And sometimes that could take seven to ten years because, like, with my first one, the he filed bankruptcy and then – on joint accounts that we had that he was supposed as part of our divorce, he was supposed to have me removed from the accounts and didn't. So then when he filed bankruptcy, the creditors then came after me, which then I ended up having to file bankruptcy because I couldn't pay his debts and mine. So that was on my credit right. report for seven years. But it's hard to put yeah. that on your credit report saying, you know, a little note, this was because I was financially abused. So it makes you look bad, like you're irresponsible, when in fact I was the one paying all the bills on time and paying extra on my bills, but it was because of his debt that caused this. But a lot of times people don't take that into consideration. It's just It just makes the victim look bad and look at this person. It's They're so irresponsible, don't know how to handle money. And if you're applying for a job where your credit reflects a lot of times your integrity or, you know, your reliability, how employers are going to look at you, sometimes that might not get you the job. And in my case, that almost helped, you know, kept me from getting jobs because all my jobs that I've had had to have um, complete background checks. So I almost didn't get a couple of jobs working with law enforcement agencies because of my credit history and Luckily, they understood what I had gone through, and they took that into consideration and still hired me. But for some people, they're not so lucky, and it does really affect them. Yeah. So and that's what another they, big that's one. What they work towards. Yeah, but that's what that's what abusers work towards. They want you to um, have a hard time. They want you to struggle. They want you to be financially in debt. They want your credit to be poor. Um, they want you to you know, squalor in the mud, that's their desire. That's why they do it. That's mm-hmm. why they, um, I have one friend, um, her husband wouldn't let her even get a part-time job. Um, she didn't have her own um, account, and she wouldn't let her have any of the money. And so she couldn't save anything. Um, whereas I saw, I, I had another friend where she had literally planned, and this is the best thing, is planned for, I think, nine years. <clears throat> she had a little part-time job, and she put socked money away like crazy. And um, and then when the time was right to leave him, she left him, and she had the lawyer lined up just perfectly. <laughs> she, had the, <laughs> she had everything in order. And I really think we should have one of those, a person in every state that, or every county that can help people do that. But she had everything lined up. That was great. Then I have another friend whose husband, um, her ex-husband, actually started up in her, uh, paying, uh, putting money on her credit cards because he had access to the numbers. And um, so it was wild. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're getting, getting through that. Sometimes when you leave the relationship, it's important to, if they had access or even you think they might have had access to your credit card information, 
close or not even close the account because you don't want to really mess up your account, but report it stolen and get a new card with new numbers so they don't have yeah. the card information. And sometimes, like in my case where I ended up having all my cards go to collections and I ended up having to lose my credit card, I mean, my checking account. They closed it because of too many insufficient funds. So I had no more checking account, no credit cards or anything. And I ended up having to start off with one of those credit cards where you have to pay to get it. And $250 limit was, but that was what I had to do to start establishing my credit again. And it takes, it'll take process, but just be patient and understand from the beginning that it's going to take time. It's so yeah. quick and easy to ruin somebody's credit, but and it's going to get frustrating and you might get angry with them. It makes it harder to forgive them when you're going through it. But as long as you remember that it wasn't your fault, you didn't cause this, it wasn't your irresponsibility, it wasn't your actions, and understand that it's going to take time to get back where you were. And yeah. don't beat yourself up about it. It's okay. And just explain to people when you're applying for things or you're applying for jobs, this is what I went through. Sometimes we don't, as victims, don't want to say because we're embarrassed. We don't want people to know yeah. what we went through. I know that's how I was. I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. Like Just to be able to admit yeah. that I was dumb enough to let somebody take advantage of me like this. That's how it was like by saying that I went through this, I had to admit that I allowed it to happen. But once I got over that and it's like, no, this is, I'm going to take the steps now to get out of this. I'm not only healing myself emotionally and mentally, but I got to heal financially too. And it takes a step yeah. to maybe one credit card or little by little but as long as you understand that it's going to take a few years and every day, every month that you make another month's payment, that's one month progress you're going to make. And it's a slow process, but you're moving forward. And as long as you keep moving forward, you're healing and you're getting better and stay focused. And that's yeah. going to help you so much. Yeah. I heard the best thing the other day. Um Actually, she's a college roommate. She goes, my daughter just got married, and I gave her the best advice I could give. And what was that? She said, open an account that your husband is not in. Keep putting money into it just in case. And someone said, well, isn't that planning for a disaster? I said, no, because in 10 years they can go on vacation if they're still married. (laughs) And I said, that's the best advice every bride should have. (laughs) Just start putting money away every paycheck. Yeah, I mean, it is good to have separate accounts. You can have one joint account, and then you have your separate accounts. Like my husband and I, you yeah. know, we have, you know, we have our, where it's budgeted every month. We have our, he's got his money, I got my money, or spending money, and then we have our joint money that we do together. But that's a big difference between a healthy relationship and one that's not healthy, because neither one of yes. us are in control of each other. We're make joint decisions on our financial stuff. We plan ahead together. We have our monthly budget. We have our fi- our goals, like for a vacation fund and, and just our um, emergency fund, things that we are looking forward to that we're working together to reach those goals. And if we want to buy yeah. each other something as a gift, we have our own money that we can buy each other something. Or, you know, if I'm going to go out with the guys or he wants to go and do something, 
you know, we don't have to explain to each other, ask for permission to spend this money because we have that mutual trust and respect for each other. And that's a healthy thing to do. But for someone who's not in a healthy relationship, yes, it is a good idea to have a secret stash. And just in case, if, if you're having doubts and you feel like you can't trust that person that you're with and you think you might need that in the future, then yes, definitely start building up an account and have money just in case if you ever have to I love that idea, having two separate and having one together. I think that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, we worked it out in our budget where it's like, okay, how much can we afford to each have? Um, You could do it percentage-wise. I mean, we went to a financial class together a couple years back where they even taught us, like, on our monthly income, say, like, 5% went to each of us each month. That was our play money. And, which was very mm-hmm. interesting, too, because they said, okay, you have your play money that every month you have to spend that money doing something fun together. And you're not supposed to let, if you're going to roll it over, you can only roll it over three months at the most. And then, so you're saving up for even a bigger, like, instead of saying, like, a date night. Okay, we're going to pass this oh, month's good. date night. But in three months, you, you're saving up instead for a weekend getaway, if you want to do it that way. But as long as you're still making time for each other and setting aside fun, because if you're focusing too much on the bills and everything and not spending quality time together, you have to have that equal balance. You have to make sure that you're still keeping your relationship good and still continuing to date and keep the romance and still keep dating each other no matter how many years together that you are and it's just you know I agree 100% that's so important yeah and just I mean and the same thing with friends and you know I have my friends that we get together every now and then for lunch and stuff so I'm like okay I don't have to think about okay is there money in the budget for this because I already have my monthly amount that we're budgeting like okay so if I don't spend all this money then it's okay it's there it's saving and if I want to buy my grandkids something or send my kids some money or whatever, that's it's there. I know it's there, and it's not going to mess up our budget as far as bills and our future goals that we have. So it is really good to set yourself up financially, especially coming out of financial abuse, because then it gives yes. you something to look forward to. And when you see yourself reaching, getting you closer to your goals, and don't make you don't start off with little goals, even if it's okay, I'm going to save up $100, then good. You know, once you reach that $100, you know, you could either, depending on what you spend it for, what your goal for is, you know, if it's saving for a car, of course, that's not going to be enough. But, you know, if it's just to go buy yourself an address or something, you know, and right. go to a movie, you know, go that's for a weekend would, getaway. I would actually, that's what I would do to kind of build my self-esteem at times is I'd say, you know what, you deserve a new book. <laughs> and don't spend mm-hmm. more than ten bucks, but um, you know, and that's one thing that I do to actually help me. And um, I mean, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it was, it was what I needed. It was easy. Yeah. It was, it was inexpensive. Um, it was what I needed from me. And so, you know, everyone should have something like that. Like you said, if yeah. you just put ten bucks away a month or twenty bucks a month or something like that to. Uh, yeah, just for you. I don't, I don't get my or nails for, done, but for like 
Exactly. If somebody wants to go, okay, I want to go for a manicure. Something to pamper yourself, just a self-care. Yeah. And if you want to go for a massage, just something to do for yourself, to uplift yourself. And sometimes, a lot of times, we are always so worried about taking care of everybody else that we neglect ourselves. And a lot of time, too, is because we've heard so many negative things towards each other, towards ourselves, that we start thinking we don't deserve a new outfit. We don't deserve to go get a massage. Or, no, that money could be used for something else instead because we don't feel we deserve it. And But that's not true. We still have to take care of ourselves because how we treat ourselves is how we're letting other people treat us. And so the more yeah. we start taking care of ourselves and being good to ourselves, then other people will start being better to us too. And we also start recognizing what we don't want and what isn't good for us. And we start, it's easier to start picking up when somebody else is mistreating us or talking to us in a negative way. And like, hey, wait a minute. Like the red, it's easier to start recognizing the red flags. Like, no, that's not proper. That's not appropriate. And you can't talk to me like that. Right. You can't treat me that way. And so when we start treating ourselves right, we, start building that gap of distancing ourselves from people who don't treat us right and start setting healthy boundaries. It's very self-care is so important, as you said. Yeah. And sometimes if you can't afford to put money away, um, self-care for me was taking a hot bath. I love hot baths. That Mm -hmm. is the best for me. And um, so to me that was, how I unwound, I would just lay there and just soak and maybe have a bath bomb and, you know, just just enjoy yeah. my time by myself. Or even, <laughs> even just going for a walk. I love long walks on the beach or just going for a long drive. Anything that's going to make yourself feel good and at peace. Something that where you can just relax. And sometimes there were days where I would just want to lie down on my bed, listen to some soft music, whatever's just going to give me peace. A lot of times I would just turn on praise and worship music and just hearing it, especially when I was having days when I just was so feeling really low and depressed. And once I would start listening to yep. praise and worship music, you can't listen to yeah. that music and stay depressed. <laughs> I was like, I yeah. just start listening and before I know it, you know, I'm praising God and I'm thankful and I'm feeling grateful for everything that I have. And I start thinking back on yeah. everything that he's brought me through and how grateful I am for where I am now. So why am I sitting mm-hmm. here being all depressed and sad? I'm like, no, you know, and the more I did that, I'm like, okay, you know, you start and you do it every day and start thinking about everything that you're grateful for and just appreciating how far you've come and how far you can go. And you think on yes. all that stuff, and it doesn't really matter what you went through because that's sometimes we had to go through that in order to get where we are now. Some, the things that we went through made us stronger. They made us the person. I wouldn't change anything that I went through in my past because if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be able to relate to victims the way I do. I wouldn't be able to talk to them. I wouldn't understand what they're going through if I hadn't gone through it myself. So everything that I went through, it happened for me, not to me, so that God can use that in my life to help others. 
and and, and that's, that's how just I feel as well. My view on it. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's absolutely true. I was talking to a friend just a couple nights ago, and um, and I'm going to be having. I think I told you a uh, a domestic violence conference here in or in St. George, Utah, and. Um, a friend of mine said, oh, my gosh, this is your life's work is coming to fruition. She goes, I know you went through something that was horrible, but it, it's because you needed to do this, because God needed to use you to do this. <laughs> and exactly. I'm like, yep. <laughs> yeah. She goes, and we are horrible, actually but it was for your better. <laughs> Yeah, we are actually running, we're coming down to like our last 10 minutes. So share a little bit about that. What is it that your event that's coming up, when is it, where is it, how can people get more information on it? Okay, um, I haven't put the website up yet. I'm going to be doing that soon. Um, But it will be June 1st and 2nd in um, St. George, Utah. And it is actually going to be at what's called the Tuacon. It's a a huge... um, uh, theater school and theater. Um, we're going to have the inside, and so there's probably going to be theater things going on outside. But um, we're going to have. It's all about domestic violence, about healing and knowledge. That's our our theme is healing and knowledge. And I've had so many people say, you know, tell me uh, what I can do to help someone. So we're going to have um, people who um, teach. Uh, just things on the knowledge aspects, PTSD and healing and um, self-care, that self-care is how you eat, how you exercise, what you take into your body. Um, And uh, lots of, there's like, I have 18 different workshops and we have like five five, um, keynote speakers and it's full two days. It's... um, Starts at nine o'clock on the first and ends around three or four on um, on Saturday, and it's going to be really good. I'm going to have a lawyer there um, who works with uh, DD victims, and he's going to talk about um, the legal process and the um, how um, law enforcement and judicial agencies react to domestic violence and the changes that they're hoping to take place and many different things. It's it's going to be absolutely awesome. I have so many people who have just said, hey, let me um, let me help you. Uh, one of the areas that we're covering is um, for men. Um, men don't like to speak up about being abused. Uh, they fear it more than the women because they feel shame too. And mm-hmm. so I know the percentage is, is much lower, but still it does happen. And we want them to feel that they can break their silence as well. Yeah, that's very important because so many men, it's harder for them to come forward. So that's good that you're also going to have. Is there a fee? How, what's the cost to attend that? Um, actually, we're doing it for free. Um, we're just uh, going on donations. And believe it or not, the place that we're having it is, um, has just donated. They said, this is such a worthy cause. And Southern Utah has never had anything like this. And so um, the state of Utah said, hey, let us help you out in any way. So we have had just people all over the place just coming out and saying, 
from, you know, all the way from Salt Lake, from different states, saying, hey, what can we do to help? I'll be there. You know, it's just just amazing. Um, I have a therapist. He's going to be talking on healing and um, trauma. And I'm hoping to get another therapist out of Texas. Um, and she will be teaching on um, her keynote. going to be on trauma and resiliency. And um, we just have a lot of um, different things, like music and how that helps you heal, and art and how that helps you heal. Everything is either knowledge-based or healing-based because that's our whole um, gift. That's what we're. That's what we want to portray to everyone. Great. Okay. So, what's the best way for someone to reach you if they want to contact you? Uh, they can do it through healingforwomen.org um, at gmail.com. That is fine. Um, there's several different ways, but that would probably be the best way for right now. It's um, also, uh, just so you know, it's not Healing for Women that's going to be putting it on. Um, it's another organization that I started called SAVE, S-A-V-V-E, and that is Saving Abuse and Violence Victims um, Through Education. And as you know, I'm a, a teacher by profession (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I'm the first one to say education is everything when it comes to to healing or comes to uh, understanding and uh, our motive is that we can teach people who don't know anything about it um, to teach uh, people that have children that might be abused in their relationship I had a friend say oh my daughter she's so badly abused what can I do and why does she do this and everything so um, all of that, we want to bring that forward. Anyone who has any questions about domestic violence, anyone who's experienced domestic violence, any um, law enforcement, uh, we're definitely going to be putting the word out to every single one of them in, the, in all the states around, uh, because uh, St. George is actually right. It's closer to Las Vegas than it is even to Salt Lake. <laughs> it's, we're right okay. on the the border, but um, so we're going to be putting out things for law enforcement all over. I'd like them to hear this uh, lawyer. Just he uh, he actually um, represent has represented a lot of high profile domestic violence cases, and he's coming down from northern Utah um, to speak at this. And he's actually retired, um, but he thinks it's so very important that everybody know. Um, the process and what these women go through and, you know, and how to help them. And and he's also going to be talking about law enforcement and judicial agencies and their strengths and their weaknesses. And it's awesome. it's just going to be phenomenal. I'm just very blessed. I can't tell you. Everything just opens up and just keeps pouring out and um, more people just keep saying, how can we help? And so it's, it's just amazing. So if uh, the best way is probably healing for women all one word dot org at gmail dot com okay and then we also didn't go into too much about your book but you did mention it you've got a book called um, a shout out for women healing from abuse how can they order a copy of that through your website or is there a better um, way yeah, for them to website get a copy or amazon it's a shout out to women healing from abuse and um that has uh, a couple extra things. One is on ecclesiastical um, helps and also law enforcement helps. 
Um, both are just very, very important for healing for women. Yeah, uh, my website is one place that you can order it or Amazon.com, and it's under SK Rice, and it's called a shout out to women healing from abuse. And um, it's, okay. Well, thank you, Shireen, so much for being my guest on tonight's episode, and good luck on your your upcoming conference that you're putting on. It's good to see you doing so many great things, and thank you to our listeners. (laughs) Yeah, thank you to our listeners for being part of tonight's episode. The next episode of Breaking Our Silence will air on March 15th. Until then, this is your host, Lupe Moreno, with the CWR Network, wishing you all a great night. Thank you. Hi, Mom. Is Claire's birthday party today? Me again, Mom. Where did I put my history book? Hi. Sorry, forgot one last thing. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. At school, I start looking out the window, and then I forget what I was supposed to be thinking about. I know it seems like I don't care, but I do. It's just difficult for me. Love you, Mom. Bye. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. People been saying to your friend, get a different face. And posting on their feed, they're super ugly. someone being bullied online you can be a witness and make a difference by letting the world know it isn't cool and by letting your friend know you care learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org brought to you by the ad council i'm jumping in with my clothes on most party fouls are pretty dumb but if you decide to drink and drive underage you could lose your license and your freedom learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the ad council listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network, hashtag one million strong.